day. Amen. Praise God. Well, take your Bible or your, uh, if you have your Bible on your phone or your iPad or whatever, find the book of Revelation, if you would, the fourth chapter, Revelation chapter number four. And I'm going to read beginning with verse one today. Revelation chapter four and verse number one. Some familiar verses of Scripture. We're going we're gonna to delve into this today and by the help of the Lord and do some teaching and, and uh, preaching maybe. What's preaching? Well, it's teaching and preaching kind of blended, mixed together. <laughs> Amen. But um, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Have you found it? Are you there? Amen. Hallelujah. If, you've, if you're in the concordance, you've gone too far. All right, go. You need to go back. <laughs> Revelation, the the last book in the Bible, Amen, and uh, a book of prophecy. And let's look at verse number one. John said this. Notice the first words. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And immediately, John said, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I, say, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, and seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Praise God. I want to talk to you this morning for, for a few minutes. I, I've got it's just some material I want to cover here this morning and as quickly as possible. But I want to talk to you on why I still believe in the rapture. I still believe. A lot of people don't. But you're looking at one preacher that still believes in the rapture of the church. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless your, your word. Help me and anoint me to minister today as I, as I break the bread of life to these your people to feed the flock of God. Open our hearts, open our ears to hear, to receive, that we may, may learn and, and be more uh, aware of the fact of your soon coming. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. You know, the future is big business. You said, Brother Rick, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, everyone wants to know what the future holds. Isn't that right? We're always speculating and wondering what the future holds, what it holds for America, our nation, what the future holds for the world and for our personal lives. 
And there are those today who are predicting what the future holds. We have fortune tellers, and we have palm readers, and we have YouTube prophets and prognosticators that are very popular today because our society and our world is fascinated with the future. People today are turning to the occult. They're turning to New Age, to books by popular preachers, and even to supermarket tabloids, and to every irrational source in a frenzied search for certainty about the future. People want to know what's going to happen. But ironically, society largely ignores the best source of information about the future. And the best source of information about the future is found right here in this book that I hold in my hand, the Bible, the Word of God. We can read the Bible and find out a lot about the future. And you know what? When you read the Bible and understand the Bible and understand Bible prophecy and understand about the future, that will, that will take away the fear and the dread and the anxiety about what the future holds because we find out something in the Word of God. And that is for the church, for the believer, for the child of God, God has planned a great and a glorious and a wonderful future for you and I. Can I get an amen today? In this book of Revelation, and here in Revelation chapter 4, as you look at Revelation chapter 4, you see that it begins the third division of the book of Revelation. And if you want to read the book of Revelation, which I encourage you to do and which you should do, because there's a blessing that is pronounced upon everyone that will read the, the, the book of Revelation. Revelation. And you should read it um, and uh, pray that God would open it up to you. But if you, if you would study the book of Revelation and understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand that Jesus told John in the very beginning, in the very first chapter of Revelation, that this prophecy is divided into three different sections. So if you will, 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 will study the book of Revelation in the light of what Jesus said in Revelation 1, in 19, it'll be a lot easier for you and I to comprehend and understand. For in Revelation 1.19, this is what Jesus said to John. He told him to write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which are to take place after this. That's the natural division of the book of Revelation, of the 22 chapters of Revelation that's found there that Jesus gave to John. He said to write the things which you have seen, or in other words, the past things. That was in Revelation 1 and the vision that John received in the latter part of chapter 1 of Revelation when he saw the vision of the glorified Christ. Those are the things that he had. Seen. He said, write about that. And then he said, write about those things that are. The things that are are the present things. The things that are are covered in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And Revelation 2 and 3 covers the church age. These churches, when you read Revelation 2 and 3, these churches were the seven churches in Asia Minor that, that, that John wrote letters to from the Lord Jesus. 
Jesus wrote to the pastors of those churches, messages from the Lord Jesus, and those seven churches in Asia Minor also represent churches throughout all the ages of, of, uh, of, of this time, of the church age. All the different churches, um, the church ages throughout this age of grace and this dispensation of grace. So this is the things that are. This is where we are today. We are in the church age. Do you agree with that? We are in the dispensation. I mentioned about, uh, I might have been Wednesday night or last Sunday, but I mentioned about the seven different dispensations in the Bible. And we are in the dispensation of grace or of the church. We are in the church age. So somebody would like to know and say, where are we in Bible prophecy, Brother Rick? Well, we're in Revelation chapter chapter 2, and chapter 3. I really believe that we are presently in the latter part of Revelation chapter 3. We are in the Laodicean church age. We are in the day and the time when the church is in a lukewarm condition and is like that Laodicean church that is rich and increased with goods and think that they have need of nothing. But Jesus said, you're miserable, you're poor, you're wretched, blind, and naked. They had the possessions, um, the physical and material possessions, but they lacked the spiritual possessions that they needed. We see that predominant within the church world today. So I believe that we're in that the, the latter portion of that third chapter of Revelation in the church age. That was the second division of Revelation, but then he said, and write those things that shall take place after this, or these are the events that will unfold after the church age, which covers Revelation chapter 4 through 22. Now, when we get to Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4 is a transitional passage. How do we know that it's a transitional passage? We know that by the phrase that, that is used there in the first part of verse 1 and the last part of verse 1, where John said, after these things I looked and beheld. And then in the latter port of that a latter portion of that first verse, he says he, he uses that phrase again and says, after this. So that phrase after this and after these things that appears twice in verse one at the beginning and the end shows us that Revelation 4:1 is transitional. These words reveal that John was about to see and what John was about to see see in a vision of events that would occur after the church is removed from the world. The rest of the book of Revelation, after verse 1 of, ch of chapter 4, the rest, everything that follows after that is things and events that take place after the rapture of the church. John in verse 1 is being called to heaven and represents his calling to heaven represents the church that will be called out of the world at the end of the church age. And I want to stress to you today, ladies and gentlemen, that I believe with all of my heart, not just my own personal belief, but I believe that the Bible bears it out. And I, can, I believe it because of what we see 
see today and what the Bible teaches that we are in the ending, the closing moments and the closing hours of this, of this church age. Something is getting ready to take place. You can see everything falling together and coming together that it won't be long that soon and very soon we are going to see the King. Can I get an amen today? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So John here uh, is, is about to tell us about something. The Spirit of God is about to show us something concerning the church. The church age will soon end, and it will end with the rapture of the church. At the midnight cry, Jesus is going to come for his own, and those who have been born again or heaven-born are going to be heaven-bound. How many have we got here today that's ready for the rapture? ready for Jesus. See, the rapture of the church is what Paul referred to in the book of Titus as the blessed hope of the church. It's the rapture, the catching away of the saints. And I still believe, and I want to be, I want to be adamant about this today, that I still believe in the rapture of the church. There are many that do not believe in the rapture. There are many that, that deny any such thing. There are those that say, uh, well, the word rapture is not found in the Bible, which is true, but we get that word rapture from the Latin word raptos, which means to be caught up, to be kept caught away, which we do find in the Word of God, that Greek word harpazo, which means to be caught up, and we'll cover that here in a minute. But I want to answer some questions today about the rapture of the church. When you study the Bible, I, I think we learned this in school about the questions of Journalism, you know the who, what, uh, who, what, when, where, why, and how, the 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 W's and the H. And I'm not going to go through all of those today, but I want to use some of those questions to cover to cover uh, why I believe in the rapture and to answer some questions today that you may have concerning the rapture of the church. And if you're here today and maybe you're a little skeptical about uh, about wondering if the Lord's going to come or not, I hope that by the end of this message there. There's no doubt in your mind that Jesus is about ready to split that sky and come back and the trump's about ready to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise and this church of the Lord Jesus is about to go home and leave this world behind. Amen? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, the first question is the what of the rapture. Uh, and, you know, what is it? What is the rapture? Well, the Bible calls the rapture a mystery. It's a sacred mystery. Well, somebody would say, well, if the rapture is a mystery, and Paul says that it was, and we'll touch on that in a little bit in Corinthians where he said, behold, I show you a mystery. But when we talk about a mystery, we're not talking about an Ag Agatha Christie book or something like that. A mystery in the Bible, what is a, what is a biblical mystery? A mystery in the Bible is a truth that no no one could know by themselves that was something that was veiled, but it was a truth that is made known by divine revelation. It's something that was a mystery and was not known in a former time or a former age or a former dispensation, but now by the Spirit of God has been revealed so that we can understand it and know it. And the rapture is a mystery.
history. There's nothing taught about the rapture of the church in the Old Testament. Amen. Uh, There's nothing taught about it there. It was a mystery to the prophets. The prophets of old spoke about the millennial kingdom. The prophets of old talked about and prophesied of the coming, the first coming of Christ and prophesied of the second coming of Christ, but they knew nothing of the rapture of the church. It was something that was veiled and it was something that was a mystery and it was something that was not known until God revealed it to the Apostle Paul and he recorded that mystery and the revelation of that mystery in the New Testament. So look here in Revelation 4 and 1 the Bible said that John hears a voice, notice like a trumpet and what does that voice say to John? The voice says to John come up here. The King James says come up hither or come up here and immediately John is in the spirit and he is caught up. There's a door opened in heaven and he is immediately caught up through a door in heaven and finds himself transported from earth to heaven. I believe and many Bible theologians and scholars believe that Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 is a picture of the rapture of the church. It's a prophetic it's a prophetic symbolism of what happened to John as to what is going to happen to every believer today. Hallelujah when the trump of God sounds and Jesus comes back again. Now the corresponding verses of scripture that are given by the Apostle Paul are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. These are the verses that reveal the mystery of the rapture. Paul said, let me read them to you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse number 13. Paul says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus Jesus died and rose again. How many believe that today? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up. There's that word harpazo. We'll talk about that. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and the Thus shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul, writing to this church at Thessalonica, said that he did not want them to be ignorant concerning those who had died, their family, their loved ones. Some of them had died, and these people in this church were wondering that if they would, that they had died, since they had died, would they miss the coming of the Lord? And Paul tells them, and he gives them a revelation here. 
here and he tells them not to be sorrowful or to sorrow as those who have no hope. For he said their body is in the grave and their body is just asleep. Oh, come on, somebody. You know, every time in the Bible, many times in the Bible when it refers to the death of a believer, it talks to them as being asleep. Do you know why it refers to death of a believer being asleep? Because when you're asleep, you can always be woke up. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, there are those loved ones of ours that sleep in Christ that have gone on to be with Jesus. Their bodies are laying in that grave, but there's getting ready to be a great waking up day. Hallelujah. That the dead in Christ shall rise first. Oh, hallelujah. There that treachings coming on. Amen. But the body was in the grave sleeping. And he said that, that the spirit of those who had passed on, those loved ones, those family members, the spirit of them was with the Lord. The Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. The moment a believer, a moment a Christian um, draws their last breath, the spirit leaves their body and they immediately are transported into the presence of God. We conduct funeral services and lay that body to rest only to temporarily until the coming of the Lord, until the resurrection day, until the trump of Almighty God sounds and those dead will be resurrected. And that's what Paul was telling them. He said that when Jesus comes again, that those spirits that are with the Lord in heaven, that spirit, those spirits of those believers will come down with him when he comes and descends from heaven. And the body of those believers will come up out of that grave. And the spirit and the body will reunite and they will be raised incorruptible for the corruption was must put on incorruption and the mortal must put on immortality and death will be swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. There's a resurrection morning that's coming very soon, very soon, very soon. Hallelujah. Just any day, it's any day now as Paul reveals that mystery where he says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. The Lord himself. You know, God has, has, has through the church age and even before the church age has designated and called prophets and apostles and, 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 uh, and you know, and evangelists and the fivefold ministry to carry on his work on the earth. Isn't that right? But boy, this is going to be something here when the rapture takes place. This is something Jesus isn't going to give, designate to somebody else to do. The Bible says, it's the Lord himself. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. La ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. That just any day now, just any moment, Hallelujah. God the Father is going to turn to His Son and He's going to say, Son, it's time. Jesus is just waiting for the Father to tell Him, Son, it's time. And when He does, Jesus will arise from His throne. He will descend from heaven. A shout shall come from His lips. The trump of God shall sound. And His voice will echo through the tombs and the graveyards of this earth. And those who died in Jesus will hear His voice and will rise up to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah to the Lamb. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That word caught up as I mentioned earlier is harpazo. In the Greek, and it means 
to seize, to catch away, to snatch, or to pluck. It would be, an illustration would be if your little toddler was close to a road and was getting ready to run out in front of an oncoming car and was in danger of being killed, and you reached out at the last moment and snatched them out of the danger. That's what harpazo means. It's something that happens quickly, and it's a snatching or a catching away. And that's what Paul used here, catch away. Miraculously, all of those who know the Lord Jesus Christ have been born again, will have their ears tuned to hear His voice when He calls and will rise to meet the Lord in the air. You know, the Bible said, Jesus said, I don't want to get too sidetracked here because i I got some material I want to, want to cover. But, but Jesus himself said that my sheep know my voice in John chapter 10. He said, my sheep know my voice. And he said, the voice of a stranger they will not follow they, because they won't hear the voice of a stranger. And I was reading something in a book the other day that I thought was really interesting. And it was told uh, that, that a shepherd told this. A, a, a guy that was a, a real shepherd of sheep told this and said that 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 verse of Scripture where he said, My sheep know my voice. He said uh, that, that shepherds don't call sheep like we call dogs, you know. And call them, you know, and say, Here, sheepy, sheepy, sheepy. Come here, sheepy, sheepy, sheepy. That's not what they do. But they have sounds that they make. It may be a, a clicking sound. It may be a certain whistling sound that they make. It may be a clapping of the hands. But the sheep of that shepherd know that sound when it comes from the voice of that shepherd. They, they recognize that sound. And he said, he said five or six shepherds can gather under a tree to eat their lunch. And he said while they're eating, all of their flocks will mingle together. And here's hundreds of sheep from that belong to different shepherds that are all grazing out there in the field and intermingling together while the shepherds are sitting under the tree eating their lunch. Well, when one of the shepherds gets ready to leave, he gets up and all he does is makes that noise or that sound or that whistle or whatever sound that he has trained his sheep to hear. And when he gives that whistling sound, all the sheep... Oh my, all the sheep that know and hear the voice of their shepherd stop grazing and they get up from among all the other sheep and they follow their shepherd. None of the other sheep that are in that, in that herd, none of the other sheep are affected by the voice of that shepherd because his sheep know his voice and they follow him and will not follow the voice of a stranger. Oh, I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, every one of you that are the sheep of God you will hear his voice one day and you'll know his voice and we'll be separated from the others on this earth and everyone that knows the voice of Jesus Christ and knows the voice of the master will rise when they hear that voice to meet the Lord in the air hallelujah Woo. see if you were to take some some different metals and stroll them out on the ground. Say you would take some silver and gold and zinc and copper and iron. And you would just mix them all together and just throw them out on the ground. And then you would come along with a, with a big, huge electromagnet. And you would run that electromagnet over that area and over those particles. Some of that metal would rise to meet that magnet. But 
other, other metal, some of that metal would stay on the ground. Isn't that right? The silver and gold and zinc and copper would stay on the ground, but the iron would immediately rise boom, and cling to that magnet. Why is that? Because the iron has the same nature as the magnet. And see, that's the thing today, that when Jesus comes again, those who are heaven-born, as I said a while ago, are going to be heaven-bound. Those who have the life of Jesus, those who are His sheep, those who have the nature of Christ, those who are in Jesus Christ and know His voice are going to be drawn to Him and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Paul said, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and we shall be changed. So that is the what of the rapture. But secondly, the who of the rapture. The who, the selected multitude. Notice what John said. Back to Revelation 4. Back to Revelation 4. Verse number 4, John, when he was caught up into heaven, it said that he was immediately in the Spirit. There was a throne in heaven. And verse 4 said that around the throne were 24 thrones, and I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, this is interesting because who are these elders? What do these elders represent? They have, to be, they have to be representative of something. These elders, these 24 elders, I believe, and we're going we're gonna to look at this here real quickly from the Word of God, that these 24 elders are saints of God, and they represent the believers from every age. See, when you study the book of Revelation, you find out that the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that's in heaven, that's going to come down to earth one day, that there are 12 gates in the new Jerusalem in heaven. And each one of those gates, how many knows what's on, what's, what's on each one of those gates? On each one of those gates, there, there is... Uh, a name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel or one of the 12 patriarchs, you know, um, Isaac and Jacob and, and all those, the, the patriarchs that were given by, that were born to Jacob, those 12 patriarchs, the names of those tribes of Israel is on those gates. But then also we find out that the foundations of the city of the New Jerusalem, the foundations of that city, there are 12 foundations to that city, and those foundations on the, are, are, are something on those foundations. How many remember what that is? On those foundations are the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And those 12 apostles' names will be on those foundations throughout the ages of eternity. So when you look at this, the 12 patriarchs represent all the Old Testament saints in heaven, and the 12 apostles represent all the New Testament saints that are there in glory. And you put them together, and these elders represent all the Old Testament and New Testament saints. So here is a picture of John being caught up to heaven, and here around the throne of God are 24 thrones with 24 elders that represent the enraptured saints of God. The church now is in heaven. 
Woo, hallelujah. I'm, I'm going to have a spell if nobody else does. How do you know they're saints? How do you know this represents the saints? Well, notice how they're dressed. Notice how they're dressed and how they're described. It says there that they are clothed in white robes. Dick, can you see that? They're clothed in white robes. What does the white robe, what do white robes represent? White robes represent the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 19 and 8, it's, it, it's talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's talking about the church and it says to her the church was granted that she would be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints in Isaiah 1 and 18 the Bible tells us that though our sins were as scarlet we will be washed whiter than snow though they be red like crimson we shall be as wool it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us let me tell you something today I'm going to give you a nugget here that is worth shouting about out today and that is this when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what you've done no matter where you've been no matter how vile your life has been when you come to Jesus Christ all of our sins are forgiven and the slate is wiped clean and we are made righteous and we are made cleansed and we've been given a white robe pure and white hallelujah washed in the blood of the lamb so we know that these who are dressed in white are saints of God because they have the righteousness of Christ. They're not angels. They are humans that have been raptured and are around the throne of God clothed in God's righteousness. Also, John saw that they had crowns of gold upon their head. These crowns were rewards. Rewards that were received at the judgment seat of Christ. See, every one of us, every believer, everybody, everybody on earth saved or unsaved is going to be judged, but there will be two different judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ that is for saints, for believers, and there's the judgment, the white throne judgment in Revelation 20, which is for all the unsaved. But you that are believers, you that are saved, all of us are going to stand, Paul said in Romans 14, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That judgment's not to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. You've already made that determination. Your sin, your sin was judged at the cross. And when you place your faith in the cross, your sin is wiped away. But that judgment will be a judgment to mete out the rewards for our faithful service on this earth. That judgment seat of Christ takes place at the rapture of the church. We will then be judged. We will then receive our rewards. These elders have crowns of gold. The Bible promises us over and over that if we're faithful unto death, we'll wear a crown of life. We'll have crowns that we will be given. Over crowns for the overcomer. Praise God there's rewards that are waiting us. So these crowns are given to these elders elders and 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 the judgment seat of Christ takes place after the rapture so this has to be revelation 4 1 with the elders already there seated around the throne of God hallelujah has to be the rapture of the church Peter said when the chief shepherd shall appear we shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away when when our chief shepherd appears and calls our name and we're caught up to be with him in glory. I got to, oh, I got to calm down just a little bit here. 
Praise God. I'm getting my rings in today. They're almost all in. Praise God. Amen. But listen to me. What are we on? We're, on t- we're still talking about the who of the rapture, right? The who. Not a rock band. The, the who of the rapture. The Bible tells us that not everyone will be raptured. Only those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and who are in Christ will be the ones that will be raptured. Right? I'm not going to have time to to talk about it, but you read it for yourself. Matthew 25 talks about the Jesus gives the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Ten virgins, five were foolish, five were wise. And he says here that, you know, the, 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 wise, the wise had plenty of oil. The foolish ran out of oil. And it said that, that, that at midnight, that at midnight, there was a cry made. And the cry was, behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. And while these foolish virgins went to get more oil, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready, and here's what the Scripture said, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. What's that telling us? Some will be ready, and some will not be ready. Some will hear the the shout command of the Lord and go in the rapture. Some will not. There will be those who will be left behind. There will be those who will be left behind. My prayer, and I've told you this many times, my prayer is that the, that the, day, the day after the rapture, that anybody that shows up at Abundant Life would be a visitor, not be a, a regular, because I want everybody that's a part of this church to be ready for the rapture. It's the way I preach. That's the reason I preach the way I do. Amen. I'm not trying to be popular. I'm not trying to win uh, accolades of the crowd. I'm trying to get a group of God's sheep that God's given me the responsibility of. I'm trying to get you ready for the coming of Jesus because it's just around the corner. Hallelujah. And only those who have made their robes white in the blood of Jesus are going to be those who are ready, those who are raptured. It could be that the person you're sitting next to today doesn't have a genuine relationship with Jesus because it's only those who are born again and are in Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise. Then we which are alive and remain that are in Christ shall be caught up. See, if that's the case, if somebody is in this church, church today and somebody sitting in these pews today that does not have a proper relationship with Jesus that individual will be left behind while genuine believers are taken. Two will be sitting in a church. One will be taken and another will be left. Jesus talked about the two grinding at the mill. One taken the other left. Two sleeping in a bed. One taken the other left. Two working in a field. One taken the other left. What is he trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us to be ready because we must make sure above everything else that we make the rapture of the church. Can people be saved after the rapture? Yeah, but listen, you don't want to go that way. You don't want to go that route. 
I've heard people say it all my life. Well, if I miss the rapture, I'll never take the mark of the beast. You look at the news and see what's going on right now with the mandates that's going on and the people. And I'm, I'm trying not to get on that. But you look and see what's going on. The persecution that's going on now to force people to do something they don't want to do. It'll be a hundred thousand times greater during the tribulation. Don't don't go in, don't go through life saying, Well, I if I miss the rapture, I'll get I won't take the mark, I'll get saved. You better make sure you're ready to go in a rapture. Amen. You, you, you can fall in line today and you can take their vaccine and all that you want to do, that's fine. Is the vaccine, is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? No. No. No, it's not. But it's definitely, the way it's being handled is definitely getting everything and all the dominoes and everything in effect and set up for the arrival of the Antichrist. And when he comes, it won't be a mask or a vaccine. It'll be a mark in the right hand or the forehead. And those that are left behind will not be able to buy or sell unless they have that mark. They won't be able to work their jobs unless they have that mark. Is any of that sounding familiar today? You can take the COVID vaccine, go to heaven, but if you are left behind, take the mark of the beast, you're doomed for eternity. I'm trying to get us out of here, okay? Number three, the win of the rapture. The win, W-H-E-N, when is the rapture going to take place? That's the big question, isn't it? When's Jesus coming? When's the rapture going to take place? When's he coming for his church? I'm going to tell you. I don't know. And neither does anybody else know when exactly it's going to take place. Nobody knows. We got a, we got a lot of pro, <laughs> prognosticators. We have a lot of so-called prophets that's trying to predict when the rapture will take place, but I've found that most of, <laughs> most of what I'm hearing today on YouTube and everything else is more pathetic than it is prophetic. No one has any special information about when Jesus is coming. No one has any special information about precisely the time, the day, or the hour of the rapture. No one at the Pentagon knows. The Joint Chiefs of Staff definitely don't know. And I know no one on Capitol Hill knows. And God knows that nobody in the White House knows when Jesus is coming back. No one knows except God the Father. God alone knows when His Son will return. Revelation 4, 1 and 2, back to our text. In Revelation 4, what happened to John happened suddenly. And here's the thing about the, the wind of the coming. Somebody out there said soon, yeah. I think I'm, I'm wanting Eric to sing that here in a little bit. Soon and very soon. We're going to see the king. Yeah, he's coming soon. He's coming soon. But he's also coming suddenly. I guess that would be the how, but we'll put the how in with the, 
with the wind. Okay, we'll put them two together. But he's coming soon. What happened to John in Revelation 4 happened to John suddenly and happened immediately. He was not expecting what would happen. He's describing the church age in Revelation chapter 3. And then you turn the page to Revelation chapter 4. He's preaching to the church at Laodicea. He's writing a letter to the church at Laodicea. He's giving instruction to the church through Jesus to the church at Laodicea. He is, he's in the church age. And what happened next suddenly, all of a sudden, without him knowing it, suddenly a trumpet sound. He hears a voice of a trumpet and he sees a door open in heaven. And immediately, the scripture says in verse 2, immediately he's caught up to heaven. And see, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. That is what will happen to you and me and to all believers. Hallelujah. It'll be a sudden event. It'll be an immediate event. It'll be, we're just coming along here. I'll be preaching maybe on a Sunday morning and just preaching. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, bam, the doors open in heaven. Boom, the trump sounds. In a moment, they're twinkling. Look at my eye. Bam, we're out of here. We're gone. Glory to God. The microphone, I don't want to tear up a good microphone, but the microphone will drop. The suit will be laying in the floor. The boots will still be here. But praise God, I'll be in heaven with Jesus, and so will you. Hallelujah. He's coming soon, and he's coming in an, in an instant of time. We don't know the exact when of the rapture, but we believe and teach and preach, and the Bible bears it out. The Bible teaches the imminence, the imminency of the rapture of the church. The, the rapture is imminent. What does that mean? It means that it can happen any minute. In a minute imminent <laughs> right now at any time nothing has to happen for the rapture to take place no prophecy has to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place the rapture of the church the catching away described in revelation 4 1 and described in first thessalonians 4 is the next event on the prophetic calendar of god amen nothing ever had to happen for the rapture yeah, there are things that have to be fulfilled for the second advent to take place when Jesus comes back to the earth. But as far as the catching away of the saints, Paul expected it in his day. He said, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. He instructed the church to be looking every day for the coming of the Lord to take the church away. He expected it in his lifetime. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 24, watch therefore for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming therefore you also be ready be ready be ready for the son of man is coming in an hour that you do not expect Paul said that he's coming in a moment in a twinkling of an eye when's he coming he's coming at a time when people are not expecting him to come he's coming in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye that's quick amen I read that the average person blinks his eye 20,000 times a day. I don't know who counted that. I have no idea. Maybe that's so. But I can tell you this much, that it reminds us that as quick as you can blink an eye, that's how quick it's going to happen. There won't be time to get things right with God. There won't be time to, to, to put sin away. There won't be time to pray through. There won't be time to get saved. 
as, as quick as you can blink an eye. And I'm going to tell you what. You think about that tomorrow. Every time you blink your eye, try to count them. See if you blink 20,000 times. But every time you do, just remember this. That's how quick Jesus is coming. Am I ready for him? Paul said it would be in a moment. The word moment there is atomos. It's where we get our English word atom. It means, it means just, it's a minos. A minosecond. It's a split second. If you could take a second, like they split and divide the atom. If you could take a second of time, one click on the top, a click, tick. Get my T's and C's mixed up. One tick on the clock and divide that up. That's where we get our term in a split second. If you could split that second up just a particle of a second. That's how fast, how quick Jesus is coming for his church. In a twinkling of an eye, in a split second, Jesus is going to come. And the church is going to be gone. And the church age will end. And the seven-year tribulation period will begin. And the Antichrist will come on the scene. The final world ruler. Is he alive today? I believe he is. I don't have proof of that, but I believe that's how close we are, that somewhere the Antichrist, the man of sin, is alive. The spirit of Antichrist has always been here. John said that. But that Antichrist is alive today. Satan is getting him ready and preparing him to take over this world as as the final dictator and world ruler. The stage is being set for him now, and we know the rapture is imminent. That is why, ladies and gentlemen, you can get mad at me if you want to. I'm not, I'm not up here teaching and preaching politics to you, but I'm telling you they're trying to take our freedoms away and to force us to come into submission to what they want us to do. And I'm talking about the government today, that you don't have a voice, you don't have a freedom. You'll do what we tell you to do when we tell you to do it. It's setting the stage for the coming dictator, the Antichrist that is in the world today. And we'll come on the scene as soon as the church is gone. The only thing that's that's hindering him, the spirit of lawlessness, is the presence of the church, the spirit-filled church in the world today, and as soon as that church is gone, all hell will break loose. The day of the church is over, the age of the church is over, and God begins to deal with this earth in a different way than He is doing right now, and you don't want to be here when that takes place. Were you trying to scare me? I wished I could. But no, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just giving you the plain, simple facts of how it's going to be. Why the rapture? Let me close. This is my last point. Why? 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 There's a, there's a threefold reason. This is my last point, but there's a threefold reason for the rapture, and I'll give it to you real quick. The first one, why? Is there going to be a rapture? Number one, for a reception. Jesus is coming to receive his bride. It's, that's the purpose of it. That's why he's coming. He told his disciples, John 14, <clears throat> he said, In your father's house, many mansions, for not so I'd have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. So it's going to be a reception. The marriage marriage supper of the Lamb 
will be a glorious time of reception. I performed a lot of weddings in my time. I performed a lot of weddings right here on this, in this church. Going to do one Saturday. Does anybody know about that one? Huh? Going to do one Saturday here. And I, I counsel with, with that future bride and groom, and I counseled with, with Corey and Katie, and I always tell them, you know, I told them, I told them, I said, Corey, Katie will never be any, and she's a beautiful young lady. How many agree with that? But I said, she'll never be any more beautiful than she'll be when she comes through those doors and comes down that aisle. That's the way the church is. The bride is making herself ready. I've preached a lot. I preach. I've done a lot of weddings, performed a lot of weddings. I've never seen a bride come through there in bib overalls with muddy work boots on and her hair in rollers. She's always prepared and primped and made herself ready for that wedding day. That's what the Bible says that the church is supposed to do is to make ourselves ready. But after that wedding, when the bride's united with the groom, what comes next? There's a reception. Woo! What do you do at the reception? You celebrate. You have, you, man, you just have a big time. You eat. And, and you just enjoy yourself. And you sing and dance and, and rejoice. That's what a reception is all about. It's a time of rejoicing and fellowship and celebrating. And Jesus is coming to receive us. And he said in Revelation 19, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage of the Lamb. So there's a reception that takes place at the rapture. Secondly, the purpose of the rapture. Why? It's going to be a time of rescue. See, we're not going to be left. God's not leaving his church here to endure the ultimate wrath of God. There was a rainbow around that throne that John saw, wasn't there? There was a rainbow around that throne. That rainbow is God's covenant. It's a symbol of God's covenant. It's a symbol of God's promise. And do you know what the rainbow stands for? It doesn't stand for gay pride, I can tell you that. Do you know what the rainbow stands for? That rainbow means, you know what it means? The storm is over. The storm is past. After that, after that lightning and thunder and that storm and the storms of life we go through, we're sitting there around the throne of Almighty God and there's a rainbow around the throne saying, Welcome home. You've made it through the storm. I've rescued you. You've been caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There's going to be a storm of tribulation on the earth and it's brewing now. But the church will be rescued. The church will be taken out. The church will be delivered from from the wrath that is coming upon this earth. Jesus said, watch and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape the things that are coming on the earth. And last of all, the third thing is reunion. Why the rapture? For a reunion, a reception, a rescue, and a reunion. He said, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. What he's talking about? Our family members. Everybody has family reunions this time of year, you know, in the summertime. We're getting ready to have family reunion in heaven. That's going to be the best family reunion you could ever imagine going to. 
Woo, hallelujah. Everybody in this sanctuary today, you got family, you got loved ones that you've stood at their graveside and you've you've saw them, you've 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 saw the 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 the, the grave covered over. Hallelujah. We've got we've got two children over there. And we've got graves of children and grandparents and parents and loved ones, family members. But there's getting ready to be a reunion when those dead in Christ rise. And we're caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. It's going to be the greatest family reunion you can imagine. Amen? Hallelujah. After church one day, uh, a little girl, what the preacher had preached on the coming of the Lord and upon the rapture, and the little girl was asking her mom some questions, and she was quizzing her mother, and she said, Mommy, she said, do you believe Jesus will come back? She said, yes, I do. She said, Mommy, do you believe Jesus will come back today? She said, yeah, I do. I believe that. Do you believe Jesus will come back in the next few minutes? Yeah, I do believe that. And the little girl said, Mommy, would you comb my hair? Some of y'all get that tomorrow. Do you know what she was saying? I want to look my best. I want to be ready if he could come back in any moment. And he can and he will any moment. Any moment, he's coming back. That's the doctrine of imminency of the rapture. And it should motivate us to be ready. It's the most important thing that you'll ever do is get ready for the rapture of the church. Hallelujah. Worship team, you can make your way back. Let me give you a little story in closing. And I'm going to give an altar call. A man by the name of Stephen Covey wrote a book about how to get things prioritized I read this illustration. I thought I need to read this book because I need to get things prioritized in my life. All of us do. But he told in this book how a professor, about a professor who came to a class, to a class with his students, and the professor had a great big, great big wide mouth jar. And in that jar, he took some great big rocks, and he, he filled it all the way to the top with some big rocks. And he asked his students, he said, is this jar full? And they nodded their head. And he said, no, the jar's not full. So then he took some gravel, some little pieces of pea gravel, and he poured pea gravel and sprinkled it on top of the big rocks. And then he took it and he shook the jar and smoothed off the top. And then he asked the students, is the jar full now? And they said, yeah, it's full now. He said, no, it's not full. And then he took some sand and he poured some sand on the top of the gravel and shook it down and smoothed it off. And he said, now is it full? And by this time they were afraid to answer him. And he said to them, I'll answer for you. No, it's not full. And then he took some water and he poured water over the sand. And the water went down and filled every crevice. And he asked the question. He said, now is the jar full? And timidly they nodded their head in the affirmative. And they said, yes, now it's full. And he said, you're right, it is. But now what's the lesson that I've just taught you? One lifted his hand and said, well, things are not always as they appear to be. And he said, oh, that's true, but that's not the point that I'm making. Another one said, I know there's always room for more. He said, well, that's true, but that's not what I'm teaching you. He said, no, here's the lesson that I've taught you today. That if I had not put the big rocks in first, it would then be too late to put them in. The big rocks 
had to go in first. What do you mean? What are the big rocks? The big rocks are prioritizing your life to make sure you're right with God and that you know Jesus Christ and that you're living for Him and putting Him first in your life. Those are the things that count. The big rocks is what counts in our life. There may be a lot of things you think are important today in your life, but it's all going to turn out to be gravel and sand and water if you don't take care of the big rocks, and that is your relationship with the Lord Jesus. So I ask you today, are we ready? The same thing Jesus asks and His Word asks, are we ready? Are we saved? Are we where we need to be with the